0: You're listening to a sermon from Grace Family in Pleasant Hill, Missouri. If you're around the Kansas City area, we want to invite you to worship with us Sunday morning at 1015. We're located in historic downtown Pleasant Hill at 125 North Armstrong. To find out more about Grace Family, visit us online at gracefamilyph.com. Enjoy the message. Have your Bibles? Look at a familiar passage in Luke chapter 11, and we'll be here as God leads us for a couple of weeks. We're just going to get through a little bit of it this morning in Luke chapter 11. um, It's called the Lord's Prayer. You know, how many people know this by heart and quote it and say it, and how many times, and even folks who perhaps don't even attend church could say a few of these words because they've heard them so many times in movies and television and other things like that. But um, we're going to take some time this week, and as I said, maybe, maybe next week, and finish up and just look at this in some detail. And uh, some, some guys that I have read that have really impacted me on this text that, you know, you may want to look at. Uh, an old preacher uh, named Adrian Rogers, who used to preach in Memphis, Tennessee, died a few years ago. Um, John MacArthur, uh, John Piper. Uh, Just a few of the people that when I share these thoughts with you, I I really have leaned so much from them as well as Charles Spurgeon and others. And I wanted to share that with you. There's only one thing that the disciples are ever recorded of asking Jesus how to teach them. They never asked Jesus to teach them how to fish, even though he was pretty good at that. And they were able to catch tremendous amounts of fish under his direction. They never asked him, how can we take five loaves and two fish and feed thousands of people? You think about what kind of an amazing feat that would be if you could do that. They never asked him, teach us how we can touch blinded eyes and they would see. They never asked him, teach us how we can touch a leper and he would be healed They never asked him, teach us how we could pray over a little dead girl like you just did, and she would come back to life. They never even said, as it's never recorded, teach us how to teach like you teach, how to preach like you preach. But they did ask him one thing, didn't they? We see that recorded here in Luke chapter 11. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Father, thank you for the chance we have to gather on this day, and for those who have uh, made the... uh, The effort to be in the weather and be here and gather here your word preached and proclaimed. Father, for some of us, this may have been a difficult week. There may be some in here that this may be the most difficult week they've ever endured. And it's a little hard to find joy, a little hard to find even peace, and even a little hard to find you this morning. But you're here in the midst of even our deepest pain and greatest questions so father we just trust you for that others of us are here lord and we're looking for answers we're looking for hope and some father are here because they deeply desire to learn more and grow more we're all at different places in our lives any different week any different month any different year but it matters not you are here with us and you'll see us through each and every one of those seasons in our lives so for whatever reason these folks have gathered here today. I just ask that they be made very aware of your presence in their life. And for our friends and family who aren't with us and who are traveling or unable to be here or working, even, Father, this morning, make them aware of your love for them and how much we miss them and our desire to have them back with us again. And what we do, again, lift up the folks who are leading this church and seeking your will and finding pastoral leadership, may we continue to be patient as we have been in that process, waiting on you and with expectation that you will do exactly what needs to be done and accomplished. And Lord, we're going to hear these words, this story, these phrases we've heard so often, but Lord, help us sort of tune in this morning and hear them with a, a unique and different view, something that you would have us hear, apply it directly to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in this passage and in others, we see that Jesus had appointed times and places to pray. I would say that probably a lot of us in this room don't have either one of those. Uh, You may try to pray at certain times. I'm not talking mealtime. You may try to pray at certain times of the day. You may even maybe have a certain place in your house or wherever you go to. But it's interesting that God, who became incarnate as a man, and any time we have Jesus praying to the Father, I, I understand it, it, it's, it's difficult for us in our human or mortal minds to kind of wrap our mind around what that is and who he's talking to and the Holy Spirit is there and the three are one. I understand that. And this side of heaven, we're never fully going to grasp it except to say that the Scripture makes it clear that Jesus, the Son, is speaking to God the Father. And also that it's not just sort of a ritual kind of checking in. <laughs> it's apparent in the ministry and the life of Jesus that the prayer he has with the Father is absolutely beyond essential, because he does it regularly. At at at, at times he would set aside to go and to pray. And remember, in the garden, the night of his betrayal, before his arrest. Not only did he pray, but he asked Peter, James, and John to come and pray with him. And he prayed so earnestly that he sweat drops of blood. I mean, when you look at the prayer life of our Lord and you look at our prayer life, you think, is there a difference there? And here he was, the Son of God, and he felt how important and urgent it was to, 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 to be in prayer with the Father on a regular basis. It's as though I know I'm talking to myself here. It's as though we we only pray when we when we can find the time, or when all of a sudden life changes and we find ourselves in a major crisis, and then all of a sudden prayer becomes really important to us. And that's okay. God will use those times in our life to blow away all the other junk that shouldn't be there, and He'll hear us. But do you ever realize that? It's not altogether impossible that God takes some of those awful things and uses them for our benefit because it helps us pray like we really mean it and like we really need it. Don't miss this. Jesus was praying in a certain place. And not just here in, in, in Luke 11, but many places. We, Jesus, we, Jesus would get alone and pray and get aside and pray and go pray in this place. And, frankly, after his death, burial, and resurrection, there's a story in the book of Acts where Peter and John are, what they are going to the temple at the ninth hour to pray. So all the things that they saw Jesus do, and I just listed them, there were many more, walking on the water, feeding the 5,000, raising the dead, healing blinded eyes, making the lame to walk, preaching so that he held hundreds of thousands of people just captive with his words. There's only one thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to do because they, having lived with him and seen him, understood the power he felt and he received from prayer. No doubt they fully understood that. They go, Lord. Now, it's not that these men didn't know how to pray, in a way, they, they were Hebrews. They'd grown up in the Jewish tradition. They, they had memorized prayers. They, they'd gone to the temple and prayed. They knew how to do those kinds of prayers. They, they weren't saying we don't have a clue what prayer is. It's not like we've never heard of it. They could quote them and read them and say them and sing them. But they're talking about the way Jesus prayed. Lord, teach us to pray. And they said, as John taught his disciples to pray, they, the power of prayer that John had with the Lord. And then they see firsthand the power of prayer that Jesus has with the Father. Verse 2, and so he said to them, when you pray, say. Here it is. It's what we call our model prayer. Father, our Father. Now, if you raise Roman Catholic, you know, you just say our, that's sort of short for the Lord's Prayer. You say so many Our Fathers, that's, that's what that is. Our Father. Now, we could just move right on and say, yeah, God's the Father of everybody, the Father of all creation. Uh, everyone who's ever been born, God created them and knit them in their mother's womb, so He's the Father of all No, when Jesus is teaching these disciples to pray and he says, our Father, in Jesus' mind and in his teaching and in his understanding, and we need to be fully aware of this because it's really important, in this sense, God is not the Father of all. You become a universalist when you believe God is the Father of all. And frankly, the greatest threat to the church In North America and around the world, but particularly today in North America, is what we call universalism, which is basically, doesn't matter what you believe, there's one God out there, a big creator, and any path you want to take to him, and in the end, he's going to hear us all. And from our human standpoint, that just sounds wonderful. That's the kind of God, that's perfect, because then we can all do whatever we want, and at the end, we all get a free pass. Unless you're Hitler or Mussolini. You know, those two, probably not. But everybody else... And you know, I love how we just kind of, we, we draw the line where we want to draw it. God drew it with one sin when he created things. In that sense, we're all Hitler and Mussolini. And some of you sitting here this morning, truth be known, you'd really rather think of God as one who, at the end, it doesn't matter kind of who you are or what you believe as long as you try and... Have some kind of faith in a greater power, yeah, you'll you'll get across the finish line. And churches believe that because that's not an offensive gospel, is it? That's politically correct. Right? And the more the culture changes and, and, and stuff, the more we're going to be pressured to be politically correct in our doctrine, to take not everything the Bible says, those things that, that just sort of bother people and, and challenge them, we've got to take those out and we just sort of pick and choose. It's like a cafeteria plan. And we say, I'll take this one, I'll leave that one. Oh, no, and God just uses... So, see, our Father, God's the Father of everybody. Well, yes, He is the Father of all things. There's, there's no doubt about that, but the relationship listen this is this is really important so if you have your bibles i uh hold on a minute go to john in chapter 9, or 8 rather, John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to the Jews. Let's go back to John chapter 8, 34. So 34, we'll start there. This is really important. That's why I'm taking some time with it. If you have your Bibles, I want you to find it. Because we're under such pressure to say, well, it just... Our father, he's just everybody's father. You know, that's how we start the prayer. But John eight thirty four, Jesus answered them, the Jews, and said, Truly I say to you, anyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him and they said, well, Abraham is our father. Meaning Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Abraham, the the traditional Jewish, that's our father. Yahweh, that's our father. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I learned from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your, fa- your father did, they said to him. We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Look at verse, and they're arguing with Jesus about who they are. You know, we're, we're, we're the true children of Israel. We, have, we worship God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here, not of my own accord, but he sent me. You tell me, he said to the Jews, these Pharisees and so forth, you tell me that you God's your father. That's not true because... You don't love me, and I've come from the Father, and you don't love the Father because you don't love me. So he's not your Father. The only way, and we could spend all morning on this. It is not hard. You don't have to, like, peel away and find this between the lines in the New Testament or in the entire Scripture. There is only one way that God becomes our Abba Father, and that is through the one that God sent, Jesus Christ. And so when these, these Hebrews are saying, well, God is our father, Jesus is saying, you've rejected me. And if you've rejected me, you've rejected the father. He is not your father. Do you have any idea how many people in North America will tell you they believe in prayer? I think the last Princeton Religious Theological Survey was like over 95% of people believe in prayer in some way or another. Well, good for them. But the only prayer that has any effect is a prayer to the Father. And the only way you're able to speak and come to the Father is through Jesus Christ. Trust me, these Hebrews that Jesus was talking to were far more religious than you'll ever be. They memorized more of the Old Testament than you'll ever know. They quoted prayers more than you'll ever quote. They watched their diet like you couldn't believe. They purified themselves and cleansed themselves and went to the temple and offered sacrifices. And God said, none of that matters because you've rejected my son. I am not your father. So before we even get the beginning of, as we begin the prayer, what does it mean to say our father? Jesus makes it clear. He's only your father through the son through what he has come and lived and died, a sinless life, a substitutionary death, absorbed the wrath of the Father for your sin and for my sin. We acknowledge our sinfulness. We don't sit and compare ourselves to Hitler and Mussolini and say, well, we're going to make it. We compare ourselves to a holy God and say, we are not going to make it. And Jesus came and lived a sinless life on our behalf. And God took all of his righteousness and laid it on you and gave it to you. And we repent and turn from our sin and we acknowledge our weakness and we claim him as our Lord and we confess our sin and we trust him and he creates a new heart in us and he creates, he he clothes us in his righteousness and here's the deal, he adopts us as his children and then he is our father. Not based on our work, but on the work of Jesus Christ. So whenever you say the Lord prayer, don't just go, our father who? Realize the importance of the weightiness of why he's your father. Because of Jesus. And while he loves everybody in the world, and while he is the father of all creation, in this sense, as Jesus told the Jews, he's not your father if you reject me. Now I realize we'd like that sometimes to be different. Think it doesn't matter what people believe. But the um, truth is, the Bible makes it clear it does. Our Father, hallowed be your name or sanctified be your name. Now, this is a little, little different because we would want to pray about ourselves. Lord, hallow me, sanctify me, cleanse me, make me holy. That would be a, that's how we would pray about ourselves. Lord, hallow me. Now, I don't mean glorify me. The word hallowed here really means sanctify, set apart. Hallow me, sanctify me, set me apart. One of the most important things we may talk about in, in the weeks to come is the importance of really praying for your own holiness and your desire for holiness. And and that's so he says, why are we praying for God's holiness? He's already holy. He can't be any more holy. It's not possible for him to be any more holy. So we're praying that we would somehow or another, proclaim him as holy? Is that, is that what we're supposed to do? Well, maybe, but James in his wonderful epistle, chapter two, all those great stuff in James about works and faith. James chapter two, verse 18, just listen to this. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Verse 19. James chapter 2. You believe that God is one, God is one, and you do well. But even the demons believe and tremble. The demons know God is holy. All right? So, it's not like just knowing God is holy is going to do something for you. The demons believe God is holy. And when we can't we can't ask God to make himself holier, You know, our Father, more holy will you be. (laughs) Be holy, sanctify yourself. Or not even our Father, help us know you as holy, which is good, but that in and of itself, the demons know he's holy. I think it's pretty obvious what we're supposed to do and we don't do it very well. Father, help us to reverence your name. Be in awe of you guard your name, realize the value in your name, cherish your name, treasure your name, thirst for your name. That's what it means. And yet how many times in our daily life do we say, oh my God, for God's sakes, would you quit that? Sorry if that offends you from the pulpit, I probably shouldn't have said that. But how many times does that come across our mouth? How many times on television do we hear the name of the Lord taken in vain? We don't think anything of it. I think we need to think something of it. I think think we need to quit saying that. I think we need to really hollow and set aside and treasure the glorious name of God. Satan wants us to cheapen it, make it common language. So I really believe it means to set it aside, to sanctify, to, 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 to treasure it, to hold on to it, to value it richly. Our Father, through Jesus Christ alone, hallowed, treasured, valued, set aside, treated with great care, respect, and dignity, be your name. Your kingdom. Come and your will be done I, on earth as it is in heaven. Wait a minute. Doesn't God's isn't God's kingdom going to come anyway? I mean, I, I love the fact that here he's allowing or encouraging the prayer of us to be part of the bringing of God's kingdom. I think that's glorious. And, and in the weeks to come, we'll talk more about the sovereignty of God and how all of that works. But this morning, as, as we sort of wrap this up, I just want you to leave with three thoughts today just and let God mull these over. First and foremost, he's your father through Jesus Christ. Secondly, sanctify, uh, hallow his name by making it special and treasured and honoring it and loving it and caring for it. And then your kingdom come. His kingdom will come. You're not going to stop his kingdom from coming. Nothing thwarts the will of God. There's a salvation history that's taking place from the time God created the universe all the way to its climatic end. And when when there's a new heaven and a new earth, And nothing's going to stop that. We're to pray for it, and that's a, another sermon for a great another, another thing to dive into, but, but we're to pray for it. But what's it mean? Thy kingdom come. His will is being done on earth. His will is being done right now in your life and my life. The things that Satan seeks to use for evil, God will use for good. Paul said, everything that happens to me isn't good, but everything that happens to me will become good for those who trust him and follow him. And God is sovereign. He's not some clockmaker who just starts the world off, spins it and lets it do what it wants. He is involved in what goes on, everything. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows when a bird chirps in the Amazon forest, nothing gets past him. He knew you would be in that seat at this hour on this day. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It will be done. When was his will not done? When was it not accomplished? He is sovereign even over Satan. Now, that's another thing that'll blow our minds and ask a new pastor about that. But it, it, it it's a reality. Satan comes to God and says, hey, I want to mess with Job. God says, all right. Well, Satan had to ask permission. Satan comes to God and said, hey, I'm going to shake Peter to his core. God says, all right. like I'm just telling you, one day Satan will be completely bound and thrown into the lake of fire. And he'll be done. But for whatever reason, that day is not now. But he can't thwart the will of the Father. So what's it mean to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? Oh, it's so important. The next phrase. On earth as it is in heaven. How do, how, do I obey, how do I obey God here on earth? Usually kicking and screaming with my heels dug in the sand or totally broken because I have been so disobedient and my sin has got me in such a deep pit and a deep hole. I'm finally like Jonah, ready to pray and get out of the belly of this whale or fish I mean, Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish. He never really repented. He didn't repent, but he prayed and agreed to go. That's you and me. Generally speaking, we obey God from the belly of the fish. We're like, okay, finally, I give up, all right? I'm gonna obey you. That's not how it's done in heaven. In heaven, when God gives a command, the angels are overjoyed to take care of that and do whatever He ask. So when I believe when the... Jesus is telling the disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to change our heart and our mind so that we want to be joyful in obedience as it is in heaven. So the obedience on earth is not something we're always battling and stressing about and should I do it? Should I go to church? Should I give? Should I? But in heaven, where I can't wait to do whatever God commands. That's what it means. That's enough to think about this week. Our Father, through Jesus Christ, hallowed. I've got to be careful how I use your name and invoke your name. And I've got to treasure your name. And your kingdom come, it's going to come. Your will be done, it's going to be done. But the prayer is right now on earth just like it is in heaven. Lord, let me find joy in that like the angels do. And let me be like them and not like Jonah. Father, I pray that these words will find root in the hearts of these your people. They've found root in my heart. I thank you for how they've even spoken to me. and Lord, we look forward as, as you allow us to live and to be here in the coming weeks to finishing this prayer so that when we hear it and we say it, it'll have even more and deeper meaning in our lives.